This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly, but now you can call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off. You notice I just said I'm Brian. I'm very casual Saturday uh, morning. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. yeah Hi, it's very Brian. casual. Hi, I yeah. thought you were Mr. Kelly. <laughs> but anyway, how was last week? Uh last the All Star? It was fun. Was it was it? cold. I froze. Like three times I thought, man, I'm really, really cold, and then it just kind of went away. Yeah, I went out to see OAR on Friday. And then the All-Star game, I went to the All-Star game itself on Saturday, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Did you miss me? Yes. Did you buy me anything? I did not. What? No, I didn't. I tried to catch a cold to bring you, but I, I couldn't even do that. Oh, darn it. Yeah. So I missed I out on all the good you stuff. didn't bring me anything. Yeah. I tried. Oh. Well, now I'm looking for forward time. to tomorrow, though. What kind of gardening can we do tomorrow? Uh, None. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to expand our garden this year. Well, probably the best thing you can do is get all the leaves, leaf debris picked up out of your yard. It all just comes back. I know. Yeah. It goes in from other trees. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah, other yards. <laughs> oh, well. Well, I'll be listening. I want to get your advice so I can go out and play in the yard tomorrow. Sounds perfect. All right. Yes, folks, on Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a discussion about what's impacting your backyard. What's going on in that side yard? How about that specialty garden space? And you're really disappointed in your front yard. Uh, in your house plants. Oh, oh, why are they so wilted? What's wrong with them? I don't know. What is a potting mix? How to improve your soils? Shearing, pruning, removal of bugs and diseases. Better start watching out for those bugs and stuff right now. Because uh, February is the time when you're going to be spraying a dormant oil, which suffocates Eggs and adults and various phases of insects. And uh, using information, hopefully you'll make good decisions. And my thoughts and help you orchestrate will solidify those options with a final judgment of action is going to be on your shoulders. This is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Alex. He's producing today, so when you call... Just give Alex your first name and where you're calling from. And he's got kind of a cold, so if if his voice sounds a little bit funny, that's because he's got a cold. So please understand that. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And during the week, I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. And uh, I can help you assess existing plants, make recommendations for plant material if you want to change something or add something along that line. And I can do a quick design sketch while we're there and let you know what I think might be something that could really fit your aesthetic needs. 
And you just go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is, where I can be reached. All right, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Headed down a hill, there's all kinds of golden groove bamboo growing along the side of the road. A sign reads, Railroad, 40 feet back. Brick wall, serpentines downhill. Giant boulders, wrought iron fence. Planet Area says Monarch Cafe, meaning Monarch Butterflies. Well, there wasn't too much for them to eat right now, but they're not going to be around this time of year anyway. Pedestrian Bridge crosses over from a parking lot. Ornamental grass is neatly pruned. A waterfall really adds some great sounds. Several signs say no smoking beyond this point. Well, where am I? I'm at the entrance to the zoo. And the zoo is a smoke-free campus. So another sign reminds that it is open year-round and the zoo is free. It closes today at 5 o'clock. There's recycling cans and trash cans which offer you easy drop points. Multiple potted plants ranging from Cedrus Atlantica to Liriope to ferns to junipers. And on in-ground there's some shrub roses. They're hugging the trunks of uh, deciduous trees. Mugo pine drapes over the boulder wall. And the sky was highlighted as it just start, starts to brighten by uh, river birch and sycamore trees. So that was really kind of nice. Some of the traffic was heading west on Wells. And it's a great day and a great place to be on the first day of February. So another thing, too, um, tomorrow is Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Punxsutawney Phil is going to be, if he sees his shadow, you know what could possibly happen. This whole concept started in 1887, but PETA now says uh, it's really not all that good for Punxsutawney Phil to have to go through this. So they're kind of suggesting maybe a robot or something along that line rather than using a real live animal. And speaking of the zoo, a couple years ago on Groundhog Day, (laughs) they had a groundhog there. You know, for a, so we thought Tracy and I went and just uh, we were standing around watching it, and the, one of the zookeepers was holding the groundhog, and all of a sudden he got away. So he started the groundhog started running through the crowd, and uh, it was kind of exciting. So I think that was probably the first and maybe the only time they've ever done it. Maybe they continue to do it, but that was really a great thrill to see the, him <laughs> jump out of this guy's arms and then run through the crowd and watch everybody kind of jumping out of his way. Because they wanted him to have some fun. So anyway, tomorrow Groundhog Day. So uh, punks a tiny fill. Uh, PETA says they shouldn't be using that animal to do that. But anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Starting, I guess it actually started yesterday, is the Orchid Show at the Missouri Botanical Garden. So if you'd like to head out and check out the Orchid Show, there will also be orchids for sale. Another great and fun thing to do is head out to Faust Park. And the Butterfly House, it is managed by the Botanical Garden as well. So Butterfly House this time of year, they got all kinds of special stuff going on. And what could be more fun than that? This month, you can expect to see several things coming to life. 
beyond what we have been experiencing with the gray skies and everything else. Uh, winter aconite, which is a minor bulb. It'll be about a couple inches high, yellow flowers. And so that's fairly small, obviously. Also during the month of you know February, uh, the silver maples will start to flower. So along with the winter aconite, you can expect some crocus, some Dutch bulb iris, snowdrops, and grape hyacinths, along with woodies, there's uh, pink flowering almond, which will be flowering sometime this month, the yellow cornelian cherry, and possibly um, the white star magnolia, and also as well as the yellow witch hazel. So all kinds of stuff. February, it kind of opens the doors for everything else. But at the same time, when that happens, that's all regulated by temperatures and those type things. Then just start watching out for insects because they're going to start becoming more active. They're going to start going through different phases of their life and everything. Also, watch for, you know, white flicks on euonymus and pines and things like that. Those, that is something called scale, and you can just spray a horticultural dormant oil on that, and that suffocates them. You can expect to see some thrips and mites and things like that as well. And what happens is, yes, they can come out, they can start doing some damage, and then they can hide, you know, go back into more or less hibernation short periods of time if, if the temperatures start really getting really, really tough and cold. So let's head out uh, and start the day with uh, going to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hello. Uh, can you hear me, Mike? Yes. Okay, I have a couple questions. Uh, I have a, a magnolia in the front of my yard. And I think it's called a baby bear magnolia, and it's got a it's about six years old. It's about eight feet tall, and it's got a main stalk, but it also has a side stalk. Right. And I don't know if it's a bush or a tree, and that side stalk takes about a quarter of a tree. Should can I cut that? Uh, what would be the reason why you wanted to cut it? I don't know. I just thought maybe it was a it was a growth on the side that shouldn't be there. Maybe no, you know? it should be there. Magnolias generally have not necessarily multiple trunks, but you know lots of branches. You know, starting off low, you know, low to the ground. You could certainly remove it, but I would probably wait until at least it's probably got flower buds on it. I would assume wait until after it flowers and then prune it uh, at that time. But there's no, I mean, there's magnolias are not traditionally trees as we think of trees. Okay, okay. But, it, you know, uh, since you mentioned it, it really never blooms that much. And if it does, it's maybe sporadically twice a year, only 10, 10 flowers at a time. Yeah, That's about it. It's probably variety-wise, more so than anything else. I'm not particularly familiar with that specific variety you have, but um, that's my guess that it's uh, just related to maturity. A lot of times it takes them several years to get mature enough to start you know, doing a lot of flowering. You said it was six years old? Around six or seven, yeah. Yeah, so it may be just, again, variety-wise, and uh, that's about, uh, you know, there's not really too much you can do about that. Okay. Okay, and you mentioned the pruning. Can I'd like to prune the bottom a little, a little bit? Can I do that now? Before uh, it, before... Yeah, you can certainly. So, in other words, you want to make it so it does have more of a specific type trunk and not so many right, say twigs right. coming and, off of it. Yeah, yeah right now. Say... 
Okay, because it comes off awful low right now. Right. It's real low, the right. branches. Okay, okay. Uh, one other quick question. Uh, I have uh, lilac as well as uh, crepe myrtle. They're about two years old. They don't bloom at all hardly. And underneath, they're, they're on fill dirt over some rock, some, uh, some uh, uh, backfill or something. How much sun do they need to, to bloom? Well, the lilac needs to have full sun all day long, every day, to really bloom nicely. And the crepe myrtle would really prefer that, too. So if they're in a part shade situation, that plus, again, the age factor, and it may, you know, may be related to the soil they're growing into. If, they, if the foliage comes out and it looks good and there's lots of leaves on it, then it's probably not related to the soil, but it's probably related more so to just the age. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I, it, I mean, it's three years old, and the bush is only like a foot and a half tall, Ooh. foot and a half wide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not good. So that's not a good so place. Soil, right? Yeah. Okay. And I could transplant them in the spring. You think? Correct. Yeah, uh, I would probably. Yeah, as soon as you possible. The ground is probably. I mean, you could probably do it any time. Let's say after mid February, I'd wait for another couple weeks and then do it. But uh, yeah, you can do it then. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Have a great morning. Great. You do the same thing. Yeah, the magnolias, I mean, they're not necessarily a bush. They're just kind of an understory-type tree, which, you know, depending upon the variety again. Now, the southern magnolia, which is the evergreen one, they will generally grow and have a, you know, a trunk because of the pruning and everything else. But the majority of them, the star magnolias, and the, which is the white-flowered one, the saucer magnolias, which have the purplish kind of flower, and then the sweet bay magnolia, which is one that blooms in the summertime, they're ones that you know have lots of branches coming off and everything else. So that's just kind of a genetic quality they have. And now let's head to Brentwood and see what's going on with Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. Uh, my question is, uh, I, I, uh, we have a zoysia lawn, you know, and we have considerable construction equipment running over this, which is creating, like, divots in it. And my question is... Uh, can we just fill that in with dirt and then the zoysia will come back up through it, or do we have to put some kind of sod in there probably? Well, basically, you're going to have to turn all that area that's really been compacted by all the construction over. So, in other words, like rototill and that kind of stuff, and you may have to add some, you know, soil, you know, topsoil compost mix and then level it out. But, yeah, you can't just fill those ruts and expect anything to happen except maybe okay. a weed circumstance. Because the soil underneath it is just way too compacted. So till it and then uh, put compost in there and then let the zoysia just kind of spread and come back. There. Yeah, it, and it's going to be a long, involved process, too. So you may end up having to buy some plugs or take plugs out of areas in your own yard where, you know, the zoysia is thick and nice and move the plugs to the areas that have been damaged by the construction equipment. Okay, sounds like a plan. Thank you very much. Yep, my pleasure. Yeah, just filling in ruts is not going to work, especially when the ruts are created where by heavy-duty equipment. All that will do is when it rains, even if your yard is flat, it's just going to anything you'd put in those ruts is just going to run off. So, well, thanks, Paul. If anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your house plants this time of year, if you have any that are flowering, Certainly continue, you know, do some fertilizing about once a month or so.
But uh, since it's, you know, the days are still kind of short and everything else, probably do one half the label rate is going to be to the advantage of the plant material. But uh, anything that's not flowering, you could f- start fertilizing, but uh, I'd w- hold off a little bit because they're not really actively growing. If you start to see any house plants that are wilting, and you know you've historically or you've recently watered them, it may be the fact that they've been watered too much and you've got some root rot and that's what's causing the wilt. And there's not anything you can do about that other than just stop watering them entirely and just leave them alone. And uh, keep your fingers crossed that something may happen. But uh, it's not a good sign when you're, you know, your plants wilt and especially if you've been watering, because a lot of times people will think, well, they're wilted. That means they need more water. But that's not the case whatsoever. So it usually means, you know, maybe initially they needed water. But, you know, if you water them and they don't perk back up, that means they've got some problems in the root system. Let's head over to Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I've got, we just bought a new house, and I've got a ton of rows of Sharon that are volunteers, they all seem to be single stuff. And then when I when I drive around, I see like people have bushes right. with rows of Sharon. Do I have to like dig those up and plant multiple in one spot, or is it how I trim it back that makes it a bush? Well, you're not gonna. I mean, uh, I don't know. Probably somebody just bought some bare root rows of Sharon or something. Because if you got a single stalk coming up out of the ground, it's going to take multiple years before you're going to get. Yeah, let's say the classic look for Rosa Sharon. So these are all been there a long time because they're all probably eight, ten feet tall. And just a single stalk. Yes. Wow, that's very strange. Are they in the they're sun? All, they're all crowded in together. There's probably, you know, in a small area. There's probably fifty, seventy-five of them in a small area. Whoa. Well, that might be part of the factor then. But uh, I would say, go in there, maybe cut off half of them down to a foot. And see if you st- you know if you start to get some side growth coming off those, but that's you know they're just they've been overplanted. Whoever did that was kind of interesting as far as their approach. Could they just be volunteers? That's what I was thinking. Well, volunteers they have to come from something. And if there's no Rosa Sharon there previously, there's no place for them to come from. Right. I mean, I'm not sure how they reproduce. They do seeds, or how do they do them? Well, usually, I mean, I guess they can do seeds, but that's a very rare circumstance. Usually, the you know reproduction in a nursery situation and stuff like that is from cuttings, and not trying to grow them from seed. But I guess they probably could, you know. But I guess maybe there could have been one large one there, and it produced a bunch of you know. It's just the whole situation seems rather strange. Yeah, there it's probably an area forty feet long, and there's probably a hundred of them in there. That's amazing. So Okay, so I'll try cut. Uh, what, what I want to do is move them out toward the front of the house and make bushes out of them. So cut them down to a foot and see what happens. Right. And just and then if you start to see some side growth come off of them, then, you know, the, the problem is if I don't know how close together they are, but then you start trying to dig some of them out to translo- you know, translocate them or transplant them to a different location, you start tearing up the roots of the other ones that are staying in that same place and... You know, if I was you personally, I would, you know, kind of leave that as is if you want to. You could prune half of them down if you want and see what happens. But I would consider if you want Rosa Sharon in the front of the house, maybe head to your favorite garden center and just buy a couple. 
Okay, and you know, I'm I'm not worried about killing off a few extra because there's so many. They're too crowded in there. If anything, right. I think, you know, so I'm not worried about killing a few off. Uh, so I probably will try digging some up and cutting them back. Yeah. Good luck. All right. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah. Sometimes I always wonder. You know, when I go to people's homes for like a walk and talk and things like that. You know, let's say they've inherited this because they purchased a home or something. I always wonder what the logic is behind some actions that people take. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Your zoysia lawn is still going to be tan. Don't do a whole lot of core aeration or anything like that until it starts green greening up, because you could really do some major damage to it. So no core aeration on zoysia this time of year. Uh, your bluegrasses and fescues, you could certainly do that, and then spread some compost to drop down into those aeration holes. Let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. Yes. Um, I'm calling in regard to the uh, Rose of Sharon call that you had a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. Rose of Sharon most definitely grows from seed. Right. I had a volunteer one in my yard. Uh, oh, it's been a number of years ago now. And it got very big, and it dropped seeds all over my lawn. Every spring, I had to pull... <laughs> little seedlings out of my lawn and it grew other ones next to it too. Right. And it transplants quite nicely. I finally just got rid of the thing because I was so tired of having to pull seedlings out of my lawn, probably at least 200 every year. Really? Wow. Yes. That means so, they had to have a heck of a lot of flowers. Well, it it was well flowered. It, it got pretty big. Right. It was probably... Yeah, probably at least 12 feet tall. Wow. And they, like I said, it grew more with them. But I got rid of them because I, it was such a pain to have to <laughs> dig them all up. <laughs> but I also have another Rose of Sharon that is a double Rose of Sharon that every year it is just covered with buds. And out of the probably 300 buds, I get maybe three blooms. Really? So I would like to know what you think about that. That's kind of odd because, I mean, it takes a whole lot of energy to set the flowers. And then for the buds to not open up, that's, you know, it's in, I'm assuming, the foliage looks good. Everything's nice and full, leafy and everything. Yep. So the only thing I can think of, you know, I don't know how old it is or anything else. But this particular variety, even though it's, in theory, a double, let's double the amount of petals that a normal Rosa Sharon has uh, that might be just variety-wise as much as anything else. Okay, but you mean that it just doesn't bloom? Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, what use is that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I couldn't I, agree it, well, more. I bought it Sometimes, I, I mean, these, these specialty things work really great when they're really young. But, uh, I mean, there's like some less, an example, an analogy kind of thing. You can buy a type of, uh, let's say, an evergreen shrub, you know, broadleaf evergreen that is variegated. 
And so it has yellow stripes around it on the edges and all this and looks great. But in a few years, those go away and the new growth just starts becoming green. So, I mean, sometimes these hybrids, you know, are not for the longevity factor, which doesn't make sense. Well, that's true. And, and, but I never, blo- it never did bloom like it should. Right. So my thinking is just it's a bad hybrid. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. What you could do is, you know, you could go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and just put it in there and see what they happen to say. Okay. Yeah, I, I bought it specifically because I thought they were so pretty. Right. And and I see other ones that are blooming fine, but mine never flowers out. Yeah, because, I mean, like I said, if it has healthy leaves and everything else, then uh, it's just it's got to be related to the, gen- the genetics of actually the flowering process. Hmm. Okay. Well, the good thing about it is I never get any little sprouts come out. <laughs> true you have to yeah to get seeds to you know for sprouting you got to have flowers and if you don't have any flowers it's never going to happen right well if it's a hybrid it probably wouldn't sprout anyway right that's probably the case okay so, well i listen to you all the time and appreciate your advice well great well thanks for having me on your show you're welcome and now let's head over to dave's yard hi dave hi mike hi I have uh, a silver maple that is probably 50 years old, 18 to 24 inch diameter. Actually, I got a couple of them. The city uh, out in St. Peter's wants to run, they want to replace a sewer lateral line that uh, isn't mine. It's a neighboring one. And so I'm not obligated to do it, but they're wanting to actually go right through basically where the base of this tree is. So I'm going to lose both of my large shade trees out of the yard. The thing is that they're asking for an extra 15 foot easement, and this is so that they can come closer into the yard to do this rather than staying within the current easement. If they if they stayed in the current easement and they're 10 feet away from it, that would probably damage it to where it would end up dying too, right? Or am I, is that wrong? Well, within 10 feet, there's a... I mean, they're basically going to cover or cut off about uh, 25% of the root system. So that means, you know, there's not enough roots to support 25% of the above-ground growth. And so it could, and, you know, silver maples are not super long-lived anyway. They, all, they start having problems, you know, growing up in Maple Lane, which was silver maples. We had 13 of them in our yard, and, you know, some of them really did much better than others. But if they start trenching and cutting off 25% of the roots— that's going to you know, kind of lead to a downhill slide. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they weren't offering any. I'd, I'd rather they stay closer to the property line because they'd be getting rid of some shrubs and that that I really I would like taking out, but they're not going to do that. <laughs> um, Never works. And they're, 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 saying it, they're saying the silver maple is only worth $700, which value on a, on a maple, I understand that, but at the same time, uh, it's worth a lot more to me for the shade that these two trees provide. Sure, and it's not only the shade, it's the aesthetic yeah. value of it and everything else. Now, I do, I mean, you know about the, the helicopters, the seeds, there's millions of them <laughs> on, 
But uh, yeah, yes. so for them to just... I guess I should look at it that way. <laughs> yeah, your gutters are probably full of maples. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I just wanted to confirm what they were telling me. They were telling me that uh, it had died within a year. No, not that I, fast. Well, that's, I, I know that they're just... It's the cheapest way for them to go as far as what they're wanting to do. Right. And and I know that has a lot of bearing on it. Okay, so it, it could be a slow death. Would pruning it back, having an arborist come out and drastically pruning it back, assist if the root system was hurt? No, it really wouldn't. I mean, because okay. you can't you can't sort of guess on what branches and how much and everything else to take off. So, right. okay. I mean, the feeder roots on any kind of tree, maples are surface rooted, but still. Every tree has their feeder roots, which uptake nutrients and moisture, are within the top 12 inches or so of the ground. So if they went deeper, then it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, that top 12 inches or so, that's where the real damage comes in. I see. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that. And now let's go over to Jay's yard. Jay lives in South St. Louis. Hi, Jay. Good morning, Mike. I have what I consider to be a beautiful stand of basically yellow leaf bamboo uh, for privacy and security, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I've had all of this in for seven years, and this year, right now, uh, it, it seems to be dropping a great many more leaves than it usually does. And I'm wondering, is there something I can do? What to uh, fertilizer to give it an extra boost or, or to help this or I know it's getting old but that, and I like so is this a clump grower this is not a spreader correct mm, it's a spreader oh, is it? <laughs> oh yeah because usually the golden you know the yellow leaf ones are not necessarily spreaders they're usually clump growers I mean they'll, they'll send up some shoots but they don't send a, they're not as aggressive like the golden groove bamboo and that kind of stuff the one that grows around the zoo. Yeah, back when I was putting this in, I bought uh, a couple different kinds, not knowing that's what I was doing actually. Ah. But in the uh, so I, I guess I have both kinds. Okay. Uh, and about three years ago, I did the uh, hummus with cow manure, blah blah blah, and that seemed to really give them a big boost. Um, but is there a, a fertilizer or a stimulator or something I can? Because I'd really like to save this bamboo. It's beautiful. Sure. Um, probably, you know, I would feed the soil, you know, go out with an electric drill, you know, either with electric cord or power drilled, and then drill some holes and backfill those holes with, you want the holes, get an earth auger, which is about an inch in diameter, drill the holes down about six or eight inches and backfill those with compost and go from, let's say, the about a foot away from where the stems are coming up out of the ground and go out a couple feet and just fill the area with lots of different holes and feed the soil. That's probably going to be the best way. Feeding with fertilizer is not really going to help the overall health. So you're going to try to feed the soil and then let the soil feed the bamboo. Okay, so any particular type of compost? Uh, Pretty much, you know, anything that's really just quality compost. Okay. Okay, very good. Thank you. Appreciate your show. Certainly. I appreciate you having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMWASH Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. 
Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, got questions, concerns, or comments? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Realize that... uh, February, this is the month when uh, female moles start having birthing. So you could maybe only have one mole and it's been still driving you crazy. You could end up with two or three moles in another couple months because that's about they got to get a couple months old before they start tunneling on their own. And moles are pretty much territorial. So they don't like a whole lot of people hanging out in the yard they found. They're going to stay in yards which are pretty good yards as far as the number of earthworms. Earthworms only stay in ground that's fairly rich. And if it's not rich, you're not going to have any earthworms, so probably you're not going to have any moles. But again, February is the time of year when the females start having babies. And they have two different tunnels. The surface tunnel is the one that pops up. That's their feeder tunnel. But the tunnel and leads to the den that's below the surface, about 15 or so inches, that's the one where uh, they go back to the den to sleep or the females are in there this time of year having new babies and all that other kind of stuff. So the moles are going to be, like I said, the better your yard, the more opportunity there's going to be to have moles in your yard. And another thing, too, we're getting to the time of year where you got to start thinking about maybe uh, window boxes and pots and things like that. If you had a pot or a window box or anything that had a, a, a plant in it that got diseased, you're probably really smart. You've probably already gotten rid of the pot. I'm not the pot. You've gotten rid of the plant and the potting mix. You should get rid of that, too, because it could have the disease factor in it. But washing this, you know, washing the inside of the pot or window box or whatever it happens to be with a mixture of um, soap and water is the best thing to do. So that way you're going to eliminate or basically eliminate all the opportunity for the same disease to come back and haunt you. So just stay away from that. Let's head over to Michelle's yard. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question. I know it's probably pretty simple, but is there... I want to plant some hydrangeas. Can you give me some ideas both on what kind of care do they need? There's all kinds of different hydrangeas, first of all. So some of the varieties like it better in full sun. Some of them do fine in a shaded circumstance. So it just depends upon the variety that you're going after, you know, as far as related to to the environment of where you're going to plant it. Some of them will be continuous bloomers. Some only bloom once. The first one that blooms in the, you know, earlier in the springtime is going to be the PG hydrangea. That has the big round balls of white flowers, and that one really prefers in the full sun. And then later on, let's say in the summertime, the oak leaf hydrangea, that has like a cone-shaped cluster of flowers. That one can grow fairly well in pretty deep shade, and it can take some full sun as well. So there's, you know, like I said, there's just depends upon the variety of what you want to, you know, what you're looking at. Okay. When's the best time to put them in the ground? Uh, spring is fine. You know, as soon as they start coming into the, into the uh, garden centers, you can get uh-huh. them in the ground. But right now... The ground is not frozen, so the, all of them need a well-drained soil circumstance. And they all prefer an acidic soil. 
So just realize that if you plant it close to your house foundation or along a concrete driveway or a concrete sidewalk, you're going to have to constantly, not constantly, but routinely add some sulfur and lime or not lime, sulfur and iron to the soil to keep the pH more correct. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, so, I mean, really figure out which one that's, you know, which ones you're going after. I mean, they have the ones that can, you know, be different colors like the blues and pinks, and you change the color of those by adding aluminum sulfate to the soil. So it's not, you can't take a white one and make it do it. So it has to be one that's been genetically hybridized to actually have that color of flower. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for all your time. Sure. My pleasure. But yeah, the garden centers are going to have, hydrangea is probably one of the, I'd have to guess, and this is strictly a guess, I have more hydrangea questions than I have pretty much about anything else as far as, you know, flowering shrubs go. Uh, Now's a good time to head out to your, you know, out into your garage or your tool shed or something and get everything all cleaned up. And if, again, if you pruned anything that was diseased or you dug something up that was diseased, you know, take some time and clean off that tool that you use so you don't take the, you know, take a chance on re-inoculating the soil, you know, with a sort of like bad circumstance or bad situation. If you have ornamental grasses in your landscape, this is the time of year. If you've got the taller ones like the pampas or the maiden grass or something like that, put a bungee cord around them. And depending upon the variety, you're going to cut them down to a certain point. And generally with like the maiden grasses, you cut them down to about six or eight inches. And just realize that the majority of the ornamental grasses, not all, but the majority are clump growers. So you're going to start to see as the clump gets older and more mature, the center is not going to have any blades at all, and you're only going to have them on the perimeter. So if you've got a circumstance like that, digging up the whole entire clump, chopping out the center, getting rid of it, and then putting the perimeter edges, which is going to produce the new blades, you know, kind of put them back together again. That's probably the best thing to do, unless it doesn't really matter. So let's head over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hi. I, while I was dialing, I missed some of the conversation about the ornamental grass. I wanted to know if uh, will it do all right in poor soil and dappled shade, dappled uh, sun? <laughs> Depends upon the type, but for the most part, no. They really, you know, prefer mm. to be in full sun all the time. And poor soil, they do, you know, fairly well because you can kind of see them in parking lots and things along that line. Mm-hmm. But uh, if it's not getting in the full sun, then it's that's those two factors together are not really, let's say, the best for. Okay, the I was looking for something with height uh, for the front of the house, uh, but that's kind of a there's river birch in front of it, and soil's not the best. And how far away is river birch? Mm, maybe six feet, eight feet. <laughs> yeah, there's, it, it, they'll never survive. Okay. Because okay. there's just too many, you know, too many r- river birch roots there, plus the other factors that you spoke of, and uh, it's just not going to work. What you could do is you could, you know, maybe try something different, put some pots there and plant something in the pots. The ornamental grasses, again, they would have a better opportunity or chance of surviving. But uh, for the most part, it's not going to be an ideal situation. Okay. I need something with height. I've tried about three things there, and it never seems to do well. How high do you need something? 
Oh, I would like something maybe six feet. Oh, six feet. So that's pretty tall. So you're going to try to block your windows? Is that what you're doing? No, no, no. They're they're in a, the foundation has dropped down enough there oh. that uh, yeah could use something with height to try to balance out the other end of the house. Right. Yeah, that's going to be a real tough situation, especially because it sounds like it's on a uh, obviously a slope, and mm-hmm. the river birch roots and everything else. Yeah, that's going to be a tough spot. Okay, dog. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, the only thing, maybe six feet, that's going to be pretty tall. I know you don't want to see your foundation, but uh, I don't know. You could actually, I probably shouldn't suggest this, but there's actually a type of ivy that climbs. So Boston ivy, if you want to try something along that line, or an evergreen ivy, that could handle the situation with the sunlight, with the river birch roots and everything. But then you got to worry about it climbing beyond your foundation. So. That would be the only other option. It looks like Tom has called in, but Tom, we're not going to be able to get to you before we have to go to the news. So if anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I said before, tomorrow is Groundhog Day, and if he sees a shadow, blah, 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 blah. It's just kind of hard to believe that they started doing this in like 1887 or something along that line. It's just kind of absolutely incredible that it's been going on for that long. I don't think it's been, let's say, publicized quite to the point that it is now, but it is kind of a very interesting thing where we, <laughs> whoever came up with this idea, I think you can look online and find out what it, you know, who did. But uh, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, I'll let you go ahead and leave because I know you said you had a lot of pressure with the news and everything. A lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to go out and stand in the sun for a minute before it goes away <laughs> Too late, again. it's already gone. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I walked in here. It's like, ooh, that looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Enjoy. All right. Great. Well, thanks. Yes, folks, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection for ups and downs all arounds for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, shrubs, trees, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing today, and uh, when you call, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting where I come to your home and we can discuss whatever's going on, problem solving, aesthetic changes, and those type things. And uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage is where my email address is and my phone number where you can contact me for the walk and talk. I'll come to your home and share 40 years of experience. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. It is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes to a kind of an unusual circumstance. There's been for the last 35 years, the gardens at Lake Louis, 
and millions of people have been going for 35 years towards downtown. It's right there on Highway 40 at uh, eastbound at the Chestnut 20th Street exit. And exciting changes are coming soon in that highway quarter, thanks to blah, blah, blah. It's soon going to be named after the soccer team, which is, will debut in 2020. So Lake Louis is all the seasonal flowers, all the volunteers that helped for decades. People, organizations, and everything else has made that really kind of unique. And today, after I left the zoo, I you know went down Highway 40, and the fountain is still going. So this is not going to be closed down until February 3rd. But uh, everything still looks very, very good. So at Chestnut and 20th Street, the fountain was shooting probably 20 feet high. Ornamental grasses look good and everything else. Lake Louis is actually named in the honor of the Brightside St. Louis at that time. Now it's Brightside. Well, it's Operation Brightside at that time. Now it's uh, Brightside St. Louis. The founding director, Lucille Green, and known to the family and close friends as Louie. And that's why it's Lake Louis. The lake was built under her leadership. The small lake and fountain was dubbed Lake Louis by the city leaders who embraced her envision of this green space, which was right along the highway and invited. And it was just kind of the welcome to downtown. So that was really kind of neat. So the last 35 years has been just extraordinary type of things, seasonal floral displays and everything else as well as the water shooting up straight into the sky. So thank Louis for the beautiful memories, and thanks for the last 35 years. I'm going to be really interested to see how this whole thing comes about. But then, anyway, so the tip of the trial goes out to Lake Louis, which is located at uh, 20th Street and Chestnut and Highway 64 eastbound. So if you have questions or concerns, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Let's head over to Tom's yard. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you? Very good. Yeah. Question here is: I have saved some seeds from a hibiscus plant, and I would like to try to develop some more plants from those seeds. When would be the best time to plant, and how should I plant them? I would probably get potting mix for starting plants at your favorite garden center. I wouldn't have okay. any problems getting into the, you know, starting them right now. Right now? Okay. Yeah. And just putting them in a pot, in, you know, in the house or outside? or Yeah, not outside. Put them in, you know, inside. And the seed germination is going to be triggered by, you know, the temperature. So if okay. you put them in a window and it's a cold window, it's going to really... Slow them down. Yes. So you want to keep them inside the house. It's a... Whatever your house is, seventy-five degrees. Right, and you know, okay, it's they don't need any light or anything. Just where they can, you know, be the warmest. And once okay. this, once you start to see some germination happen, then that's when you need to migrate the pot, you know, towards you know more light. But initially, okay. you don't need that at all. Okie doke. Well, thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. I enjoy your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And let's Okey-doke. go over to Rodney's yard. Hi, Rodney. Hi. Uh, yesterday we had a big tree cut down in our yard, and our yard is full of ruts. I was wondering what I could do to kind of clean that up. It's going to be a lo- It's going to be a very involved process. So, in other words, you're going to have to have somebody. If you don't have a rototiller, or if you want to shovel spade yourself, turn all this area over, and then get some uh, compost topsoil mix, and then mix it in with the existing soil. But realize, even if they've ground the stump out and everything else. 
you're going to have a very difficult time trying to grow anything else in this area. Okay, well, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, the stump grindings, you can get rid of it and everything else. I can grind down a foot, but there is still a huge amount of wood below the ground, and it takes multiple years before the root system will entirely implode. I'm mostly interested in the ruts where the truck came back and forth. Right. So that's, you know, turning it over the best you can with whatever equipment that you have and then adding some compost, you know, topsoil mix, blend it in together. Don't just lay it into the ruts. Okay, then I have to say uh, put some seed down too, I guess? Yeah, you could try it, but the seed is going to have a difficult time. But, yeah, that's basically what you need to do. Okay, thank you. Certainly. And let's say, should we take another one? Yeah, let's go to Anna's yard. Hi, Anna. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show. Hey, I'm calling about, uh, I have a small souvenir barrel cactus. It's about five inches tall. Bought it, oh, a number of years ago. And uh, the container that it's in is about two inches deep. I wondered, um, when do you transplant uh, a barrel cactus like that? Does it need to be in a deeper type of... uh, uh, container? Not necessarily. I mean, for, for the most part, you know, cactus, most of their growth is going to be, you know, some of it goes deep, but if it looks healthy and everything else, you can just leave it in that pot. So if you wanted to put it into a larger pot, it doesn't necessarily have to be all that much deeper, but you want to have it probably one or two inches, you know, more horizontal, which would probably going to mean that it's going to be a little bit deeper. And then backfill okay. it with a, you know, cactus mix. And that's probably all you really need to do. And if I try to make that cactus mix, what type of uh, um, percentage ratio should be uh, the the dirt? Yeah, I'd probably to... use you know probably traction sand and pot and regular potting mix, and I'd probably put uh, maybe twenty five to thirty percent traction sand in with the potting mix. Okay, thanks. Yeah. And a, sec- a second question I have is in regards to uh, bleeding, excuse me, bleeding hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a fern leaf bleeding heart out now, and they've got an old-fashioned bleeding heart that's been around for a long time. What's your thoughts on those? How do they differ? Uh, not too much, to be honest with you. I mean, you really have to, I don't want to say you have to get onto your hands and knees to really see that much, you know, difference in the foliage, but it's not going to be anything really all that dramatic. Do you find one to be as strong and hardy as the other? The one that's been around for a long time is going to be the toughest because it's a native to this, you know, I mean, to this part of the country. The other one's been hybridized to give you a, a little bit more frill as far as the foliage goes. But uh, bleeding hearts, for the most part, I you know, unless you know, I don't know this particular variety necessarily, but uh, they kind of go downhill when it starts really getting hot anyway. So you're going to see that, let's say, the different foliage for a couple months, and then after that, they're just going to kind of disappear. Okay. Now they kind of advertise the fern leaf to offer you blooms throughout the summer. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if that really occurs. Okay. I mean, it may. All right. I mean, it's certainly worth a try if you're interested in it. But, you know, repeat bloomers and something like that, uh, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It probably works really great. And you can call in a couple of years and say you didn't know what you're talking about. But, uh, you know, my experience has been a lot of the repeat bloomers when it comes to perennials are not really all that great. Okay. 
All right. Hey, I th- thank you very much for your uh, hospitality this morning. <laughs> well, certainly. And thanks for calling. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we have some phone lines open. So if you have questions, concerns, or comments, two, no, not two, three, one, four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, start watching for emerging foliage uh, on your spring flowering bulbs. And as soon as you start to see the emerging foliage, uh, that's a good time to do some fertilizing. So you, what are you talking about? You just said in the last hour that fertilizing is all cosmetic. But it can leach down in there. Generally, bulbs are going to only be growing in areas where the soil's already been improved. So a little bit of fertilizer certainly would be worth it. Personally, I like the liquid fertilizers, but the granular type works fine. Just if you use a granular type, make sure you water afterwards. So if you get any of the granular foliage on or granular fertilizer on the foliage, it could really cause some burn problems on the foliage. Joanne's house is where we're headed. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Mike. Um, I have two uh, questions about things that are very invasive. Um, I have a lot of henbit in my yard, and the Bermuda grass has kind of taken over the lawn area, but I've noticed later this or recently that it is invading my flower beds. And it's like a green carpet right now. It does look, looks kind of pretty, but, but it's, it's a lot. And I'm wondering, how can I get rid of that without killing what's there as an ornamental plant? Uh, you mean as far as the henbit goes? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the hen bits you had that's a cool season annual weed. So to to get rid of it right now, uh there's not gonna be too I mean you could use a broadleaf weed killer, but the temperatures may just read the label as far as that goes. But uh the best thing you can do is next, let's say mid to late August, is put a pre-emergent down because that's when the hen bit seed is gonna be germinating and that kills the seed at germination point. Well, what's that going to do to the plants that are there? For example, there's mums, there are roses, there are different ornamental grasses. They're actually in, it's in flower beds right now. Mm-hmm. So can I use the broadleaf uh, killer um, in, in it without uh, damaging the other plants? Not if you get, not if it drifts on it or anything else, because those are, you know, it won't hurt any kind of ornamental, you know, grassy type things. But anything like right. a mum has a broader yeah. leaf, and that's going to really yeah. impact it. So Okay, so pulling it? Yeah. Is that an option? Okay. Right, hand-digging, pulling, do. whatever you want to call it. Okay, yeah, hand-digging. The other question I have is someone gave me a couple of pieces of a plant called goat's beard, but neglected to tell me that it was very invasive, and it's on runners. Yes. And I have a huge um, area that I've tried to make into a cottage garden, and I'm talking about maybe 30 feet by 15 or 20 feet, and um, it is, it's taken over at least half of that. And, of course, it's, you know, um, hiding and choking out the other things that I would like to have in there. I, uh, last fall, I did um, kind of wait until after a rain, and I did go in and pull, and I have a, a instrument called the claw that I used and tried to dig out as much of the root system as I could, but I know I'm going to have it. Do you have any 
idea as to how I can get that under control or even get rid of it. Yeah, that's a very invasive one. I'm familiar with it when I worked at the Botanical Garden and the English Woodland Garden. We had a huge clump of it. And it just mm-hmm. goes on and on and on. What you can do is just you can take a like it's a broadleaf, you know, plant flower, mm-hmm. and just uh, get a broadleaf weed killer. And as soon as they start sprouting, you know, in the springtime, just go ahead and paint the broadleaf weed killer on the foliage, crush oh, the foliage wow. a little bit, and do that. If you really mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that you're going to get down into the root system and everything. Make mm-hmm. sure this broadleaf weed killer says it's systemic, so that means it's going to get t- down into the roots and kill at that point and not just kill the above-ground growth. Okay. Well, that's going to be a job. Yes. Yes, <laughs> right, it <thank> will. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And questions, comments, or current concerns, we got uh, phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over to Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Yes, what can you tell me about catnip over the winter? I like to give my cat fresh catnip all year long, but uh, I took it inside and it didn't do any good. Yeah, uh, basically it's not really... It's not a great plant for outside or inside either one. It's it's not technically an annual, but that's what it really turns out to be. Okay, <laughs> then I can't take it inside, can I? Yeah, in you winter. can. You could try it, and but I mean to yeah. make sure that it gets enough. If you got grow lights and that kind of thing, that would certainly help. But just in front yeah. of a window, it's not going to really work. Uh, okay, I'll second that. So I thought maybe you had a secret. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah, you very much. You can dance under the full moon, and maybe that'll help, but uh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yep. And now let's head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. How you doing today? Very good. Mike? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't speak. I get you off. Mike, I agree with you to clean up the yard probably tomorrow, better bet. But the most efficient, quickest, and easiest way is to kind of vacuum them up with the um, lawnmower. Is that advisable? Because you say you stay off the lawn when it's frozen. Well, yeah, when it's not frozen, you can go onto it with the mower. Like tomorrow? Yes, right. Because uh, the ground uh, is not frozen right now, even. I mean, yeah, we've had some I'm going to need to rake them acorns out, too. Because <laughs> right. they, they can't be good for the lawn. No, they can't. They're, no. So, so they, you know, I mean, they're, they're trouble in their own right. Yeah. All right, what time are you coming over tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, how long is it going to take me to push my mower over there? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Have a good day. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head to Joe. Hi, Joe. This is Joe? Yes. Okay. I have two pecan trees, and each fall I've always uh, ground up the leaves from them and threw them in a, uh, a bin that I have which makes like a black mold. Is there any value in spreading that? Not if it's just, you know, if it's a black mold, that's not going to do anything. So just piling the leaves up by themselves, you need to layer some soil and stuff in it with it and, you know, turn it on a regular basis. But if it's just, you know, sort of icky black mold, then it's not going to do a bit of good. Well, I've put a tiller in it periodically. What I do when I put them in there, I try to put a layer of cardboard in between every four to six inches. Well, that should, you know, that should help some, but, you know, put a layer of, you know, like two or three inches of soil about every foot or so and see if that helps you. Okay, but uh, I was just wondering if there's any harm in, in using that from standpoint of, you know, they say, oh, you, you shouldn't use 
throw hardwood or uh, acidy uh, stuff back on the ground. You know? Right. No, that's, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's probably not, there's no, there may not be any harm, but there may not be any good to doing it. I mean, I'm assuming when you put it on the ground and you're mixing it in with the soil, you're just not laying it on the surface? Well, one time I did, I scattered it on the surface. And another time I, I turned it into my garden. And my garden seemed to go downhill after that. That's why I was wondering. <laughs> right. I would say, you know, if it's black and just icky and that kind of stuff, I would not even fool with it. Okay. Just dispose of it some other way. But at least the... Grind them up; it cuts down on a lot of the volume that way. Absolutely, I can I can completely agree with you. So, okay, well, thank you so much. Certainly. And speaking of pecan trees, a gentleman called last week, and he had pecans, and and I think he even said he had hickories. But there is actually an insect, a type of beetle, called the pecan weevil. W e e v i l. And that's what's causing the problems with his pecans. What it is is a female will lay her eggs on a pecan. She'll pen- penetrate the hull or whatever you want to call it, the shuck, and s- deposit her eggs into there. And then that goes all the way down into the nut. And then when these eggs hatch, they spend their life, their, let's say, larval life, inside the nut. The nut hasn't formed yet. It's actually a gel. And they eat the inside of the actual pecan before the nut forms. That's why he was getting pecans with nothing in them, because the larvae had eaten all the inside as it was forming. And then what happens is those larvae will actually drill a hole to get out of the nut and drop down into the ground. So that's why there's a kind of, it's really difficult to see where the actual female penetrated to deposit the eggs, but the exit hole where the larvae was is pretty easy to see. So that's what he was seeing. He was seeing, seeing the larvae coming up out of the, out of the nut after it's been you know, part of its life in there. Then they drop to the ground. Then they go down into the ground, and they're actually a type of grub. But grub control will not help because they go deeper than the normal grubs that cause damage to lawns. So the, the grub X's and all that other stuff won't penetrate that down, down that far. Then they spend their time you know, in the ground as a grub, and then they will emerge as an, an adult beetle. Now, it's not the classic-looking beetle or anything else. So if you have a pecan trees and you're curious about it, just take a look at the pecan weevil. And there's a whole stories, you know, on the Internet about, you know, University of uh, North Carolina uh, Extension Service and several other have, you know, done this whole thing. But I was just curious on why he was not getting any nuts. And they will also go after hickory trees. So pecans and hickory trees both. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hello, Mike. Hi. Yeah, um, boy, I didn't didn't expect you so quick there. But (laughs) anyway, I have a three-year-old maple tree. And I can't tell you what kind of maple it is, but it grows pretty big. It's probably 20 feet tall right now. 
but there's a heavy root coming going over, and somebody said it was a strangler root. Does that uh, cause any problems? Well, when they when it's going over, do you mean it's wrapping around the trunk, basically? Uh, somewhat, yeah, and but it then it goes down. Yeah. Um, it potentially could cause a problem because it could actually interfere with the actual, let's say, flow of nutrients and moisture up from the root system to the above-ground growth. If you wanted to go ahead and cut it, you could try it. Uh, personally, I would just leave it alone, but, um, you know, it's it's really up to you. All right. It seems like it's growing well, and that's, you know, so no problem with that. Another question is, is that... We have a very good uh, guy that comes out and, and cleans our roads and snow and that, and they throw a lot of whatever they're putting out there on the road and that. And it seems to come over about 10 feet or so into our yard. Will that uh, impact uh, any of the plants or anything right that are in that area? Uh, it certainly could, you know, from several different factors. If it's if it's regular rock salt, it can do some major damage. If it's calcium chloride and some of the other ones, it won't do nearly the same kind of damage. But it will, I don't know what kind of plants you're growing or anything, but it will make the pH of the soil, you know, get higher, more alkaline. And if you're growing plants at like an you know, an acid soil, like any kind of broadleaf evergreens or some or evergreens, it could impact those plants for sure. All right. We have uh uh, day lilies because there's quite a drop off right there, in, you know, to the edge of the road, and uh, so we put day lilies in there to hold the dirt back, and you can't can't hardly mow it or anything on that order. But I said uh, those things are very strong because one time they replaced a culvert, and they put black top over it, and the doggone things were growing up to the black. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> so if you got day lilies there, they probably won't be you know adversely impacted. Yeah, all right. Well, okay, that sounds good. So thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And let's go to Jerry's yard now. Hi, Jerry. Hey, uh, we're sticking on the uh, pecan tree issues. Uh Um, Got a fairly mature pecan tree, uh, three-foot trunk, diameter trunk. And uh, periodically, all of a sudden, there's the ends of the branches that drop to the ground. And what we've noticed is is that they all seem to have uh, as if you had stuck them into a little pencil sharpener. <laughs> That's probably squirrels. Really? Yeah. So squirrels, you know, as they're young, to keep their teeth from growing into the roof of their mouth, they chew on all kinds of different things. So if it looks like it's been chewed, a pencil sharpener or at a 45-degree angle or something, it's more than likely squirrels that are doing it. They're up there. No kind of a- no kind of an insect causing this. No, not really. Not co- Okay. So there's not really too much you can do. No, there's not a lot of spraying for squirrels. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, trapping, you know, it's yeah, not going to be any no. good either. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, they're sharpening their teeth. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there there Alrighty. are there is a type of beetle called twig girdler, but usually they're not going to go to pecans. Pecans are really pretty hard nuts. I mean, pretty hard wood, so they usually don't go after that type of tree. Okay. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to, into Pam's yard. Hi, Pam. Hello. Hi. Hi. I was calling about an indoor plant, a succulent. Um, 
it's called the dolphin plant. Um, my husband got it for Christmas, and it doesn't seem to be doing well. I just wondered if you knew if you could help us in any way with it. Uh, basically, if it's a succulent, it wants to be left alone, no water, no nothing, especially during the winter. Okay. How about grow lights? Uh, grow light would help it. You know, if you don't have it in a bright window, it, they need as much light as possible. So, but okay. uh, generally people with the succulents have a tendency to overwater because they think, well, I haven't watered for a couple weeks. But with them, it's better off to underwater than it is to overwater. Okay. And what kind of soil? Should we plant it in? Uh, it should be planted in, a, you know, you can go to your favorite garden center. It'll come in a relatively small bag, a cactus mix. A cactus mix. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And okay. now let's head over to uh, Brian's yard. Hi, Brian. Hello. Hi. I hear a lot of people calling in and asking about how to get rid of moles. So I just wanted to share a little advice. I hired a mole trapper several years ago and watched him do it, so that's one way to learn. But I've learned that the vector uh, scissor traps are really the best way to go. And the thing I really look for is if you can find a run along a sidewalk or a concrete driveway, that's the best way to get them. Once they get into your your beds, it's very difficult to trap them there. But I trapped 13 of them last year Whoa. in the... The year the cicadas are really bad, I think I trapped 17. (laughs) Um, But you just have to tramp all their runs down and watch every day when they come up and put it in a fresh run. And if you don't get them in two days, you got to move your trap. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. That's the way to do it. That's about it. Thanks. Sounds perfect. You must have a great yard if you've had that many moles in your yard. Well, it's year. I mean, four. I think the last four years, I hardly had any, and then last year they just. I think I trapped three in the same spot in the front yard, but they tend to always run along the, the concrete sidewalk, and that's the best the best place to get them. Yeah, so. they can't get underneath it. Basically, I mean, they can, right. but they prefer not to. Well, and the other thing that amazes me about these moles is I do some landscaping in the center of the boulevards. And they will go under the street, and they'll pop up in the middle of there because they somehow know there's worms in there. I've seen them go from one bed to the other 15 feet away. And how they know that, you know, where your beds are, they must really have a good sense of vibration. <laughs> yeah, they are picking up good vibrations. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. And let's go over to Kent's yard. Hi, Kent. Hey, good morning. Yes, go ahead. I've got a, a cabby cat I need to rent out for mole killing. That sucker, he, he catches more moles. Wow. Uh, my question is, um, how many tomato plants do you think a square bale, a bale of straw, will hold? I'm going to try some square bale gardening this year. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, I've got the bales, and I'm conditioning conditioning them now. And I was just wondering, uh, I was taking three plants per per bale or maybe two. I I don't know. I've never done this before. Yeah, I would say you're probably, depends upon the type of tomato that you're going to grow. If you're growing better boys, you know, 
any of those type? Are you growing cherry tomatoes? Are you growing, growing grape tomatoes? Or you know that's going to make a difference because size wise and everything else is going to. That's what the impact's going to be as far as the number. Uh, so I'm going to grow a regular, you know, tomato you can slice for sandwiches. I I don't know what'd be a big boy probably or something like yeah, that. Yeah, big boy or better boy. Uh, I would say probably two would. I would try two, and uh, or you could try maybe like you said three. And if one of them starts, let's say, failing, then just get it out of there really quick rather than trying to save it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Oh, oh the guy that has the pecan tree that the squirrels are uh, chewing on. Right. Tell him to collect all of those twigs. Don't throw them away. They make great barbecue smoke. All right. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks. I had a... I had a pecan tree in Athens, Georgia, that shedded like that, and I, I <laughs> guarded my twigs. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had a road, you, you had a roadside stand that you sold some because you had so many. Oh no, no, I hoarded them. I wouldn't <laughs> let anybody have them. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. Hey, you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy you, tomorrow. Yep, you do the very Go same Chiefs. thing. And Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. we got uh, phone lines open, so we got time to get your questions answered. And, uh... Like I said, the weather's going to get warmer. It's not, let's say, warm yet, but think tomorrow is going to be in the 60s. And so insect activity, and this is a time of year where you can go after them and get them. When I was at the Botanical Garden, I'm sure they're still doing the same thing. Basically, the dormant oil sprayed by a service, you know, probably a service, especially if you have larger trees, it doesn't hurt the buds. It doesn't hurt anything at all. All it does is cover all the woody part of the plant. And then any kind of insect that, you know, regardless of what phase of life it's in, it will kill it. So it kills adults. It kills eggs. It kills anything that's in diapause, the larvae, or whatever it happens to be. So just realize that that's the case. And now let's go and head into Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Good morning. Hi. Um, I had a question about uh, uh, peonies. Uh, I have a few of them in my yard, and every year in the last couple of years, I've gotten lots of black spots and problems with them. Do you know what that is, and what can I do about it? Yeah, it's a fungus. So as soon as you start to see the hands, where, which means the foliage coming up out of the ground, you should go to your favorite garden center and tell them what you have you know, on your peonies, and that will whatever, let's say, fungicide that they have. You'll probably have to put it on two or three times at a two-week, let's say, distance in between each time to prevent that from happening. So when they just come up then, not when they're blooming, not when they're already out. No, when they're already out, it's way too late. So too late, it's, okay. So it's already there, and it's already going to be trouble regardless of what you do. So just as the foliage is coming up out of the ground. Okay. Is that like a daconil product, or is there something that you look for in the labels? Or what's the active ingredients? Are? Yeah, they're probably not going to. I mean, any kind of generally all-purpose fungicide should work, but uh, whatever your you know your favorite garden center happens to have, and by asking them, they're going to you know they'll just an all-purpose fungicide is what you want. Okay, thank you. Appreciate yep. that. 
And now let's go into Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Oh, hi, Mike. Uh, appreciate you taking my call. Uh, I've got uh, knockout roses that are starting to bud, and I was curious, is this too early? It actually started last week, and I'm actually getting a little bit of leaf on it, too. And I've got a Bradford pear, which I hate, but it was here when I got the property, and that's starting to bud, too. I was wondering if that's going to be a problem in the next few weeks. It could. Well, it could be. We don't know what the weather's going to be. I mean, even if you look at, let's say, the long-range forecast or anything else, if those buds start forming and we get a severe cold, that's going to kill those buds off. There's no getting around it. And there's not really anything you can do. I mean, you could, you know, try wrapping burlap around, you know, the roses at least. You can't do that with a Bradford pear. But uh, in essence, you're kind of at the mercy of nature. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, is that usual for things to start budding in January? No, it has. I mean, it's been warm, but it hasn't been that warm. But we really, other than, you know, a few you know days where it really kind of felt like winter, most of the time, it hasn't really felt that bad as far as temperature-wise. And so all that kind of growth is triggered by soil temperatures and, you know, in combination with the air temperatures, but it's mainly the soil temperatures. So the soil's got to be fairly warm or it wouldn't trigger that. So it may be a victim of a, some warm temperature there in December and January. Right, exactly. All right. Thank you so much. Certainly. And oh. we still got time for another couple calls if you want to call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. If you have any kind of raspberries, you know this is a time of year when you want to cut the canes down, and especially the older canes with the raspberries. The bigger canes cut those down to like one to two inches or so. If you've got grapes growing on an arbor or whatever, it's a good time to do the pruning for that as well. And if you have herbs, you know that have been let's say damaged by winter. You know, I've got some creeping flocks, or not creeping flocks, that's not an herb, a creeping thyme, and so I've got some that I've got to prune out of that because it's been damaged by that as a result of, you know, even though it hasn't been severely cold, it's been cold enough, and it was t- cold enough that I actually had a variegated sage, and the variegated sage just didn't make it through that cold, you know, cold spell. So that was uh, other things you need to be doing is... Uh, you know, just watching stuff in general. But uh, get rid of, uh, say, if you have asparagus, strawberries, this is a time when you really want to get all that stuff cleaned up and pruned. So let's head into you know, Perry's yard. Hi, Perry. Oh, hi, Mike. Hey, do you know anything about stink bugs? They're, like, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Basically, insecticidal soap works. You can use uh, diatomaceous earth around the plant material, and they have do have some traps and lures if you want to, you know, use any of those. I had to do something. They're like, I've never seen bugs like this. Like five years ago, I never seen one. Now they're everywhere. Right. So get them under control. The diatomaceous earth is just. You know, it's something you sprinkle on the ground, and that gets them. The insecticidal soap, you have to spray right on the stink bug. And then the traps and lures, you know, obviously they have a scent, and that's going to bring them, you know, towards a trap or lure. Okay, thanks. I'll give that a try. Certainly. And now, Randall, how are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Look, I have grubs. I had them last year. I treated them. They kind of went away. But I'm afraid they might be trying to come back again this year. When should I start to treat them? Basically, you know, it's they're still too deep right now to put a grub control down. 
So wait until the ground you know, starts warming up a little bit and you start to see more active growth, and that's the time when you want to do it. That'd probably be around March or so. Yeah, probably. Middle March. Yeah, it's, again, you don't know what Mother Nature's going to do, but yeah, sometime right. any place, you know, it could be as late as, you know, last part of April to, you know, to, you know, last part of March. So it's just. Okay. Hey, 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 I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Certainly. Good luck with that. Yeah, grubs are really a heartache and a hassle. And Hildy, how are you today? Good morning. Doing well. Thank you. Great. My question is, for the past about two and a half years, I'm in transition remodeling a house. And because of that, I've put some rhododendrons in some pots. In the last two winters, I put the pots in the ground, and they seemed fine. Well, this past winter, my holes were covered over, so I couldn't do that. So I put them, like, in a, in a shed. And I really haven't done anything to them. I haven't watered them, and I haven't brought them out into some sun. So I'm not sure. Is there something I should do with them at this point, or just when the weather starts getting a little warmer, just bring them out, and hopefully they're okay? Ah, if they haven't had any water, I'd be very, very concerned with them. So I would get them outside as possible. Yeah, get them outside as soon as you possibly can. Give them some water. Don't put them in direct sun by any means because they've been in total dark in a shed. So, in you know, shade, but also get some water on that root system. Okay. Should I try to cover them somehow? Because obviously it's still going to be getting cold. Yeah. I mean, if we get a, you know, a forecast for cold, where, you know, wherever you happen to live, and uh, go ahead and maybe wrap some burlap around them or over the top of them or do something along that line. Got it. Okay. Well, I'll cross my fingers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no moisture in the wintertime is not a good sign. And, you know, the sun is going to, you know, light's going to be important, but uh, the moisture is more so so important than the the light factor. But anyway. And in watering them, should I put like a half a gallon worth of water and really let it soak through? Yeah, just pour it on slowly and let it, you know, absorb in rather than just pouring it on and watching it run out the drainage holes in the bottom because I guarantee you that's what it's going to do if you don't pour it on slowly. Okay, got it. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And it looks like, John, we're not going to be able to get to you because we're pretty much out of time. So can you give us a call next week at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Take it easy. Enjoy Groundhog Day tomorrow. It's going to be nice, perfect weather. So uh, what could be more fun than 60 degrees in the first part of February? Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.